We're going to be talking about low vision rehabilitation. Our speaker is Dr. Avani Patel. She is a low vision specialist in this area. She has a private practice in Los Alamitos. Is that your only practice? And also has worked with the Center for the Partially Sighted up in Los Angeles. But she is a treasure trove of information, and I have to sing her praises. You know, you go to your doctors for their technical expertise, but in her case, you also find someone who actually cares about what is going on and happens to you and can be so helpful. So uh, you really owe it to yourself to find out about low vision rehabilitation and what it can do for you. Dr. Patel? Well, as Judy mentioned, um, my name is Avani Patel, and I'm a low vision optometrist. And what I think is just so exciting and uh, dynamic about having an event like this is is when you have low vision and you're suffering from vision loss, I really think it is up to you to learn as much as you can to be your own advocate. And it's very hard for you to seek out all of that information on your own. And it's so exciting to be able to have all of these professionals here outside of the room that you can talk to and consult with and learn more about. So I really want to encourage you to be, a, be your own advocate and really ask questions of me or ask questions of any of the professionals outside uh, because it's very rare to organize an event like this, as many of you know. Um, the first question I get is, what is low vision? And essentially, low vision is any type of compromise in your vision where you feel like you just cannot do some of your day-to-day activities like you used to do. And it is the job of the low-vision eye doctor to measure the type of vision you have and design or prescribe special types of devices to help you see a little bit better. So I hope you're all at the right lecture. Is that what you wanted to hear? (laughs) Okay. So... The first thing I want to um, encourage you to do is uh, realize that July is UV Awareness Month, and we've had lots of researchers talk about new research in the field of macular degeneration, and we know that UV radiation is one of the triggers for changes in the back of the eye. So it's very important that you protect your eyes and make sure that when you do select proper eyewear that it has UVA and UVB protection. Okay, so we talked about low vision and impairment of vision that affects how you function. In low vision, we really emphasize and explore options to help an individual function better. Um, I often have patients say, well, what type of vision constitutes low vision? Is it 2100, 2200? 2800, when is someone classified as being low vision? And my philosophy is it can be any range of vision if you're struggling to do some of the day-to-day activities. Low vision is also vision that cannot be corrected adequately with surgery, procedures, or conventional glasses or contacts. So an individual with low vision is someone who is seeing their ophthalmologist and may not be a good candidate for some of the new procedures or is receiving some of the new procedures but is still struggling to maintain their day-to-day functions. And even the strongest glasses and contacts are still a challenge. Um, How does low vision affect your vision? 
today's group, uh, we know you might have vision that's distorted in the center. Low vision can also affect your peripheral or your side vision. But I also have patients that say, I have double vision or I have waviness in my vision. And some individuals are so glare and light sensitive that in environments with lots of glare, their vision drops two to three levels on the eye chart or they have extreme difficulty seeing low contrast. So those are all different examples of how vision can be affected and cause you to have low vision. Now, um, the one thing I do need to emphasize is low vision services do not cure the eye problem. Uh, What we're doing is measuring the extent of the vision you have and finding ways to help you see a little bit better. Uh, Low vision services or a low vision eye exam does not replace your evaluation with your ophthalmologist or your retina specialist. We're actually working with the eye doctor as part of the vision team. And really, low vision is a collaborative effort. Um, As you step outside, you'll see there's so many other professionals in the field of low vision. And it really does take a team approach when you're working with an individual who has loss of sight. So I put together a short little list of some of the individuals who are part of the low vision team. And the number one person on the team is your ophthalmologist or your retina specialist. Um, Next, somebody else that works with low vision individuals would be the low vision optometrist. But we also work with occupational therapists, orientation and mobility specialists, technology specialists, psychologists, social workers. Children have low vision, so we're working with teachers, certified diabetic educators, and rehabilitation specialists. So these are some other professionals that also work in the field of low vision. And as many of you know, um, low vision can affect so many different parts of your life, and it really does take a team approach when uh, addressing some of your needs. So we talked about low vision affecting different levels of vision. Um, The World Health Organization has a specific classification for what is full sight and what is partial sight and legal blindness. Um, The reason why it's very important to understand the definition of legal blindness, which incidentally is 20 over 200 vision in the better eye with the strongest pair of glasses, That's an important definition to know because there's so many services that individuals might be eligible for, or tax exemptions, or disability benefits. So if anybody has vision in that range, I encourage you to get a letter from your eye doctor that states that you have vision in that range so that you qualify for additional services, and most of them are free. Um, Low vision can start at 20 over 60 vision in the better eye. So you don't have to have very, very poor vision to seek out services. If you're struggling to do some of your day-to-day activities, you would be a good candidate for low vision eye evaluation services. So as the other doctors have mentioned, there really is no treatment today to help you completely restore the vision that you have. We have lots and lots of options to help you, but there's nothing that will bring back the vision like it used to be. And for many people, the hardest challenge is just doing the day-to-day things that they're struggling with at home. 
So by retraining the visual system, modifying your environment, and learning to use low vision aids, one can continue to maintain your sense of independence. And that is the number one goal of a low vision evaluation. So we discussed that when you have vision impairment, you can have loss of central vision, peripheral vision, glare difficulties, double vision, contrast sensitivity problems, generalized haze or night blindness. These are some of the big areas that we work with in the field of low vision. The number one question when I, uh, the number one question I get when I see a low vision patient is, I already see my ophthalmologist or my retina specialist. Why are they sending me here to see you? I don't want to duplicate any of the tests that I've had. And what I like to explain is that the ophthalmologist or the retina specialist is really the eye specialist or the eye surgeon that's treating the actual disease, the condition inside the eye. The low vision optometrist is the doctor that's going to work with the vision and address the issues that you're getting out of your eyes. So we try not to duplicate tests, but really to build on the information uh, that the ophthalmologist has provided us. So um, what is a low vision eye doctor? A low vision specialist is a licensed doctor of optometry or ophthalmology, there are some ophthalmologists that practice low vision, who are trained in examining and managing patients who have vision that cannot be completely corrected with regular glasses or contacts. And once again, it is a team approach. So in Determining whether an individual is a good candidate for a low vision eye exam, uh, we like to first determine whether they're going to be a motivated patient because the patient that's the motivated patient is going to be the one that's open to using different types of low vision aids. And low vision aids can be something as simple as more powerful lenses or custom-made glasses. For instance, um, I have individuals that say, I have a magnifier that I love using. Why can't you make me a pair of glasses that has that magnification in there? The answer is we can. We might need to use custom-made lenses to do that. So even though we'll explore the idea of using regular lenses, we might need to use very powerful customized lenses to help you see. The second thing is we might use tints and filters to reduce glare and enhance contrast. And I'm not talking about glare outside, but some individuals suffer from glare even in a room such as this. Um, we might use lenses called prisms to help reduce double vision if you're suffering from double vision. And finally, if regular lenses, high-powered lenses, tints, filters are not strong enough, we may then move on to specialized telescopes and microscopes. We can make a pair of glasses with telescopes and microscopes in there. They may not look like a regular set of lenses, but we can go beyond conventional lenses. And lastly, we'll also explore electronic aids, video magnifiers, computer programs, or software programs to help you function a little bit better, to access technology. And we also sometimes act as a caseworker. 
we'll be making referrals to other professionals that can help you. If you're having difficulty doing uh, things at home, like preparing food, you might see an independent living skills counselor. We might refer you to an orientation and mobility specialist if you're struggling to travel safely. And finally, when one suffers from vision loss, there's a grieving process, and it's difficult to adjust to some of the changes. So we may even recommend referrals to counselors and things such as that. So a low vision exam is not just about eyewear, but it's looking at your life, your day-to-day -day activities. We have students in school, individuals who need to work, and we may even coordinate a work site evaluation or an examination at a school setting. We'll bring the examination out to where the patient is and where you're struggling with some of your issues. So how is a low vision exam different from a regular exam? Um, as I mentioned, many patients with macular degeneration have had so much testing, so many specialized tests that the one concern that they have is that we're not repeating everything that their ophthalmologist has done. And one of the big things that we emphasize is we're going to work on the functional aspect of your vision. The number one difference between a regular exam and a low vision exam is a low vision exam is much longer than a traditional eye exam. We may spend an hour to an hour and a half measuring your level, your entire extent of vision. So it's a much longer exam. And some of my colleagues kind of give me a hard time. Um, they know that the pace of the low vision exam is slow. So they jokingly refer to it as the slow vision exam. But we do modify everything. <laughs> the other thing is we're not using conventional eye charts. We don't use the traditional Snellen eye chart with the big letter E. In fact, um, some patients will say, well, I already know I can't see the big letter E on the eye chart. What are you going to do to help me? We use special low vision eye charts. Sometimes the letters are two feet big and the test distance is at 10 feet instead of 20 feet. So we have the ability to measure your vision a little bit differently and measure the acuity a little bit differently than with a conventional eye chart. So um, a low vision exam, for starters, we do about 13 or 14 different tests to help us understand and give us a baseline on your eyesight. Um, I have a picture up here with, a low, uh, with an example of a low vision eye chart. But a low vision eye chart, as I mentioned, um, is a chart that's positioned at 10 feet instead of 20 feet, since most people at, with low vision have to have objects brought closer. It has high contrast, black and white, which is very important, and perfect spacing between the letters. But the first thing we'll do as a part of the low vision exam is to test your vision at all distances. So we'll test your eyesight at far, at near, and intermediate. So if someone says, I just can't see my, uh, when I'm preparing foods, then we might be testing your eyesight at kitchen counter level. If you're struggling to see a computer screen, we'll also do tests to help us understand how you function at that intermediate range. So it's really tailored to your exact specific need. And what I love when we do a low vision exam is I like when patients come in with a list of goals or items that they're struggling with. I like to know specifically what is it that you're struggling with so I can really adjust my exam to what you need. So we start with the eyesight measurement at all distances. 
Then we measure out the blind spots or your peripheral vision. We'll also look at depth perception, color vision, contrast sensitivity to see how the vision changes in different lighting levels and contrast levels. We'll look at light, we'll perform a lighting evaluation, test for glare sensitivity, see how the vision changes with different lighting levels. And then we'll finally start with coming up with an updated refraction or a prescription. Now, we don't use a traditional ferropter, the little instrument with all the lenses in there, because that instrument gives you a small lens to look through when we check your vision. But most patients with low vision have very limited central vision, so we use the old-fashioned method. We use a trial frame and loose lenses, which allow you to use your peripheral vision to look at the eye chart. And from there, we start to design different types of high-powered aids, telescopes or microscopes, to really address your need. The other thing I like about a low vision exam is I like you to bring everything in that you're having a hard time seeing. So if it's reading the newspaper or crocheting or medicine label, once we design the correct aids, we like to test the new aids on your exact task that you're struggling with to make sure some of these special devices are going to work for you for exactly what you want to accomplish. You know, sometimes um, we see patients that have a hard time reading, and one of the things that I like to perform is a perceptual test. Are you having a hard time reading because you cannot see the material because of macular degeneration? Or are there also other processing issues? Is the brain not understanding what you're seeing? And sometimes we find that in individuals with strokes or head injuries and neurological issues. So doing a perceptual test and a reading test is also another component of a low vision exam. And if you are not seeing an ophthalmologist or a retina specialist routinely, we do perform the health exam. But sometimes the ophthalmologist will send us all of your records in advance so that we can um, move on to the important portion. Now, low vision aids can look like conventional glasses. Um, I have patients that say, gosh, my doctor said these are the strongest bifocals that they can make for me. Well, technology is amazing these days. We can go two, three, four times stronger in bifocals now. We, we might have to use a special low-vision laboratory to accomplish that, but we can take conventional lenses and make them much more powerful. Sometimes we can take high-powered lenses, such as what's in a magnifier, and put it directly into a pair of glasses for reading. And we can even go beyond and put a small telescope or a microscope in glasses. Unfortunately, when we move on to customized low-vision aids, they don't always look like a regular pair of glasses. And sometimes we see that there are aids that help someone read and do some of their activities, but um, some patients really struggle with the cosmetic appearance of low vision aids. And so this is where we have to sit and decide and determine what works for you and what you're realistically going to use. Um, for distance viewing, we can take a small telescope and put it into a pair of glasses so that you can see faces in a setting such as this or watch television. 
And some of the telescopes look much like uh, surgical telescopes, what you would have seen surgeons use to do microsurgery. We actually use similar telescopes in a pair of glasses. What's exciting is now they have an autofocus camera that can be mounted into a pair of glasses. So it literally is a point-and-shoot type of thing. The glasses are a conventional pair of glasses with a slim, tiny camera mounted above the frame. So you point your head at the target, and it zooms everything into focus for you, which is exciting. So for some of you who really enjoy technology, <laughs> um, there are so many wonderful electronic aids. And I see David Kay is in here, and um, he, you'll have to pick his brain when you go outside, but there are wonderful electronic aids to help you see. Not everybody does well with high-powered reading lenses because as lenses get stronger, they focus closer to your face. And some patients will say, well, I don't want to hold a newspaper up to my face in order to read. And so in that case, we can use video magnification or special types of aids to help you read that give you a larger field of view, that allow you to change the contrast and the color. And some of the traditional aids were aids just for reading. Well, we now have video magnification aids that help you see far and up close all in one. And there's a neat new device uh, that's been modified called the Geordie. It's one of my favorite devices. But it's a head-mounted device, and it allows you to see far. And then you can adjust the dial to help you see cards, play the piano, do intermediate activities or paint, and then finally you can use all-in-one this type of aid to read. So now we have multi-purpose electronic aids that are portable that you can take to work, home, or use in a, in a lecture setting such as this. And we find that they're very, very beneficial for our students in school. Uh, we mentioned that there are excellent reading glasses from specialized reading uh, lenses or microscopes to, did you know that you can put a customized prescription into a hand magnifier? If that's what you like and you have high astigmatism and you love using a magnifier, there are companies that will actually take your true full prescription and put it into a magnifier. So we can get, uh, we can design things that are very specific. But sometimes some of these devices are hard to use. So once again, there are specialized electronic aids for reading. And I tried to put together a list of some of the aids that I like. But, you know, with technology, things are always changing. So um, I have examples of some of these aids, but David out front has all of the new electronic portable reading aids. And patients love them for reading the menu, looking at a medicine label, going to the grocery store. And some of them are the size of a pocket calculator, and they're very, very easy to use. Now, the third area that Low Vision explores is computers. Um, a lot of patients use email to keep in touch with their relatives. And in the olden days, we would have to use telescopic glasses to help you see. But a telescope is like looking through binoculars. You can see an area in high magnification, but you don't see the whole field, which is frustrating on a computer. Well, we now have specialized software that magnifies the print, allows you to change the color combination, 
But more importantly, it will read everything out loud to you. And some people have given up their newspaper subscriptions and things like that because they can't see the paper. Well, you can get things like the L.A. Times online, blow it up in large print, and even have the paper read out loud to you. So uh, technology is just very exciting. And, you know, some individuals have such limited vision that they prefer not to read visually. It's too tiring. And we have scanning software programs. You can scan your piece of mail. It doesn't even require a screen, and it will read everything out loud. So there are programs that just are readers. Now, I've talked about conventional low vision aids, but um, does anybody in this group love technology? Somebody? Oh, Dr. Nesbert, okay. One person. <laughs> um, has anybody heard of the iPhone? Excellent. Uh, the iPad or some of the e-readers? You know, one of the areas that's difficult is seeing the buttons on a cell phone. Everybody says, why don't they have cell phones with bigger numbers so I can see them? I know for a fact that there's a cute little phone called the Jitterbug that has nice big numbers on there. Uh, but the new iPhone allows you to see some of the cell phone numbers in large print. You can blow it up. So that might be something interesting to explore. And did you know that with the iPhone, you'll be able to download books? And the newest version, which is coming out, but there's another concept that they're coming out with, will also have voice output. So it'll actually read everything out loud to you. I think that's pretty exciting. Okay. <laughs> um, has anybody heard of the iPad? One person. I love you have it? Oh, I wish you brought it with you. <laughs> the, the iPad is like a mini computer, but once again, it allows you to get the L.A. Times or newspaper subscriptions or magazine subscriptions, but you can enhance the print. Really, these are designed for individuals with early low vision, but a nice concept. And finally, um, there are other items called the e-readers, and Sony has an electronic reader where you can download books. And I went to Best Buy the other day, and I looked at all of the magnification on all of these e-readers, and my favorite one was by Sony. Uh, you could enlarge the uh, font size to approximately 40-point print size, which for many folks might be adequate, and you can change the color combination. So I want to encourage you to really explore some of the new technology that's out there. You know, technology is changing by leaps and bounds, and some of these newer aids might be appropriate for some of you with early low vision. Now, as a part of the low vision examination, we said it's not just about finding the right aids to help you see better, but it's really finding services to help you live as independently as you can. And... We often, as the low-vision optometrist, I feel like sometimes I'm the unofficial caseworker because I might be calling other professionals to say, gosh, I have a patient who's struggling to travel independently. Could you please go out to their home and provide orientation and mobility services? Or for any of you that live in the area, 
uh, we have the Braille Institute here in Orange County, and they provide orientation and mobility services on their campus. So independent living skills, cooking, and doing some of your day-to-day things might be difficult. So you can have individuals to come out to the home to help you or go to other agencies that provide this all the time. It's very important to refer patients for a lighting evaluation, counseling. Diabetics need diabetic support services. They have talking glucometers, and some of these things are free. So it's important to really get connected and find other adaptive aids to help you. Um, Some individuals are still working and coping with their vision loss. So we may work with an employer and try to find ways to help you do your day-to-day activities at work or at school. And then there's so many free resources that are available. For instance, talking books, big button phones, large print checks, which are offered free by the banks, talking clocks, and something as simple as using a felt-tip marker. So these are some of the non-optical items that you can incorporate to help. So I thought I would come up with my list of very inexpensive top five things that you can do today to make your life a little bit easier if you have low vision. And this is my list of the top five tips. Um, David Letterman does ten, but I thought I'd narrow it down to five. Okay, the first thing is I can't emphasize how important good lighting is. Uh, One of the things that I highly recommend is when you're reading, make sure you have good lighting. I like full-spectrum lighting, and full-spectrum acts like daylight. But with full-spectrum lighting, you don't have the additional glare that you might from halogen or fluorescent. And a good full-spectrum light could be something like the OTT lamp, the OTT light. Uh, GE has a very nice bulb called the Reveal bulb that you can find at any hardware store. But the key to lighting is it should be positioned over the shoulder of the good eye, projecting right onto the reading material. So not diffuse lighting where it's projecting up onto the ceiling, but task lighting, which is projecting right on your reading material. So that's the number one thing that you can do to immediately improve your close-up vision. Number two, use good contrast. Um, Some patients will say, gosh, I can't really see the food on my table. One of the easiest ways to improve your ability to see food is maybe using a dark placemat with a lighter plate with darker food on there. But use contrast in different ways, and that will instantly bump up your visibility. The third thing you can do is reduce glare. There are special tints and filters to even enhance contrast and reduce glare. Um, Sometimes going up and down steps, traveling uh, outside. You know, traveling is actually walking, traveling, driving involves using low contrast. The road, the sidewalks, the curbs, it's gray road with gray curbs, and that's a low contrast situation. So there sometimes are filters that will allow you to enhance your ability to see low forms of contrast. Use large print when possible. Uh, There are so many services from free big button phones to large print books. 
uh, which are free services. Uh, there are large print watches and clocks and things such as that. So whenever possible, use large print, and that will instantly reduce stress on your eyes. And lastly, one of the other concerns that I have is, gosh, I can't see the microwave at home or the washer and dryer. You can use felt-tip buttons or little dots called high marks, and you can strategically place them on on and off buttons or microwave dials just to mark some of the appliances at home. So these are just some very simple things that you can do today to help uh, improve your ability to function at home. Oh, okay, and so that concludes my uh, presentation on low vision. Um, I really want to emphasize how important it is to get your eyes examined routinely by your ophthalmologist or retina specialist. And with all of the changes in technology, if you haven't had a low vision evaluation, how important it is to really explore that option to see if you're using your vision fully. Thank you so much for your attention. Thank you so much. Now, Dr. Patel will be here to answer questions, but before we move on, I, I have a couple of housekeeping things. In your uh, booklet that you got, we have this yellow sheet, which is a, um, a survey of this symposium, and we would very much appreciate your honest assessment of what has happened here today, the speakers, the content, any of the, uh, the food, <laughs> anything. Uh, because it will help us make things better. So please do fill that out for us and um, hand it out on your way at the registration table. Uh, I also want to make a plug. Um, Macular Degeneration Partnership, we have our booth right outside here. It says amd.org. That's our website. And if you use the web, I'd like you to go to our website. You can sign up for our e-newsletter, which comes out every month. The website is in large print. You can make it as large as you want. And we'll keep you up to date on everything you heard here today. And there's stuff there about low vision, about the research that's going on, tips for daily living in terms of diet, etc. So we're a great resource for you. And my cards are on the table, and we also have what we call a warm line. It's a toll-free number. So if you don't use the computer, just pick up the phone and, uh, and call me. So I hope you'll make uh, use of that. So doc, do you have questions for Dr. Patel about low vision? Yes. You want to come in? Question in the front. That would be you. Sorry. <laughs> okay. We do. Okay, so the question is, are there resources available that will help you pay for some of these aids if you should need them but don't have the means or whatnot? And the answer is yes. Um, you know, there are certain types of vision plans that will actually cover low vision aids. And it's, uh, there's a plan called VSP, Vision Service Plan, that has a special program where they do cover aids. Unfortunately, Medicare, some VSP plans do and do not. So it really is specific to the individual. Um, Medicare, unfortunately, does not cover low vision aids. But did you know that if you're a veteran and we enroll you in the low vision program through the VA hospital, they will provide you, is it, th is it six weeks of training? I forget. Yes, the VA. 
Yes, yes. So what's exciting is if you are a veteran, we can enroll you in that, and you might qualify to become part of the program, and you may have AIDS through that means. Um, there are some agencies that will actually provide no-interest loans or low-interest loans for individuals that might need some of the AIDS. So there are resources. There's the Department of Rehabilitation. So there are quite a few resources. And did you know that... Um, is there something called, what is that, something care program, that credit card? Well, sometimes agencies are even willing to work with you to come up with various forms yeah. of it's like payment. A payment plan. Right. Yeah. No right. So that's some of the uh, resources that we've used. I have a verbal list, but I can make a physical list. That'll be my homework assignment today. I will do that for you. <laughs> that's one of the things that we discussed during the exam, but I, that's my resource uh, for individuals that see me in my area. It might be different in different areas, but I would be happy to put together something as a starting point. That's a good point. Lady over here, please. Right. The low vision exam, we said, is uh, usually one to one and a half hours long. Actually, Medicare does pay two-thirds of the visit. Uh, the evaluation without insurance may be approximately $200. Medicare covers two-thirds of it, but they do not cover what we call the low vision refraction or the portion of the exam where we're actually testing you for the prescription. So there may be an out-of-pocket fee of approximately 50 to $75, and the other portion would be covered. So it's $200 without insurance. Medicare would cover approximately $145 of that, and then the balance you would be responsible for. But it's usually a one-time fee, and then the follow-ups are completely covered the examination, but not the devices. Correct. But it, we really have to look at the plan that you have, call them up, see if they have a low vision benefit, do some research, and then, yes. So, yes, there's a possibility that the other plans would cover it, too. Medicare just does not cover glasses or aids or electronic reading aids. Right. Question? Good questions. Oh, another question. Sure. Um, lighting, the best type of lighting I found is full-spectrum lighting. And full-spectrum acts like daylight. And there are several companies, and you can even go to Home Depot. I went there the other day, and they have tons and tons of full-spectrum lighting. But have you ever noticed that some, sometimes patients will say, gosh, I can see better by the window or when I'm outside, but when I'm inside, it's harder to see? So the OT light is one example. The reveal bulb is another example of full-spectrum lighting. But I found that fluorescent and halogen are actually the hardest types of lights for most patients with macular degeneration to use. And the other thing is sometimes when one needs lighting, um, a patients will say, I'm using a 100-watt bulb. Using a strong bulb really isn't the key to good lighting, but it's the location, location, location. So if you bring it twice as close, you get four times more light. So bringing it nice and close to your task. Yes, please. 
Well, the full spectrum has, that's a scientific, that's a good point. It actually, when you look, the answer to that question is, I don't think it has a lot of blue light, does it? It has some, but not enough, and it's not projecting into the eye, but onto the target. Yeah. Oh, Judy has a good point, though. I could address that. That's, that is an issue that comes up all the time because you see better with that kind of light. First of all, remember, when, when uh, lights are marketed as full spectrum, sometimes people look at those grow lights that you use indoors if you're trying to force plants or something, and that's a different thing. But if it's full spectrum, what we're talking about, it does have some blue light. It's, it's actually very technical, and we have some information on our website because it has to do with the Kelvin temperature as well. I won't get into that now. But as Dr. Patel was saying, if it helps you see better and you're looking at something, you're not looking right at the light, the bounce back of the blue waves is probably not so significant if it helps you to see. But we have more information. We can talk about that later.